friend, you're listening to Life Coach in Your Pocket with me, your certified life coach, Rachel Bailey. Each week, I'll bring you inspiration, motivation, and empowering learnings to help you navigate life's unexpected terrains. I believe that the more we know, the faster we grow. So each week, I'll be teaching high-level coaching concepts that you can apply to your real life. Here's to accomplishing big dreams, believing in your inner champion, and living a life filled with ease and joy. Like all navigational tools in the 21st century, I fit right in your pocket. I'm a life coach in your pocket. Happy listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Life Coach in Your Pocket with me, your neuro-linguistic programming certified coach, Rachel Bailey. I have here a really awesome special guest. I'm super excited to introduce Hannah Menzer. Now, am I saying your last name correct? Is it Menzer? Menzner. Menzner. I knew it. Okay. (laughs) Hannah Menzner. Okay, what's really cool about Hannah is that Hannah Minsner is the current Miss Idaho USA 2023. Yay, Idaho represent. And she was also Miss Idaho Teen USA in 2014. She will compete for the title of Miss USA this fall, which is going to be where, Hannah? Where is that going to be? Do you know? We don't know yet, so oh, stay okay. tuned. TBD. <laughs> okay. And she is currently pursuing her Master of Business Administration at the Wharton School, focusing on entrepreneurship, design, and innovation. She plans to obtain a job in tech before venturing off to found her own startup. Yay! So fun. We have a lot in common, Hannah. Hmm. Hannah advocates for mental health and suicide prevention through her initiative, Project Ida Hope working to teach Idahoans the warning signs and risk factors of suicide. She published her book, Glass Ceiling Epiphanies, in 2022 to share career stories and insights for women in business in an effort to reduce the gender leadership gap in boardrooms across America. That's really cool, Hannah. I'm really excited to dive into some of this stuff, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to say hello. Yeah, well, hi. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so excited about this. And thank you for that introduction. You're welcome. I noticed I was like, we've only ever been on a first name basis. So sorry, I had to ask you how to pronounce your last name. (laughs) They spelled it wrong on my high school diploma. So I don't, (laughs) I don't blame anyone for not getting it right. (laughs) You're like happens all the time. Um, so Hannah, I am super excited that you're here because my podcast is really for people to better their life, better their mental game, whatever that means for them. So that could be starting out in the personal development industry or wanting to better one area of life or another. And when I heard that your platform was suicide prevention and overall just wanting people to live healthier lives. Um, I was really excited to talk to you about that. And so my first question for you is, why is mental health so important to you? And why this platform? Of course. So I, I get this question a lot. And the way that I came to mental health and suicide prevention is my platform was because of my experience in college volunteering for a crisis hotline. So I showed up as a freshman first year at the University of Virginia, and I wanted to volunteer, but I also wanted to learn a skill. 
So I saw that we had a hotline on campus that I could volunteer for. And I went through a really rigorous semester of training where they taught me how to have empathy rooted conversations with people going through anything from coming out as gay to experiencing domestic violence to being severely depressed and having thoughts of suicide. So that experience really opened my eyes to the prevalence of suicide and how many people were struggling with their mental health and depression and other mental health issues. So after I graduated, I started volunteering with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. I became the education chair of my local chapter and started going out in the community, teaching people about the warning signs for suicide, how to start a conversation with a friend, what resources are out there. And I really just loved doing that. And so when I became Miss Idaho USA, or before I became Miss Idaho USA, I said, I want to teach Idahoans these things because Idaho has some of the worst suicide rates in our country. So I started Project Idaho, and it's all about teaching us to spot the signs in each other and in ourselves, and then to reach out to the resources available, like the crisis hotline, which is just 988. So I, I kind of ended up in it in a roundabout way, but for me, I take care of my own mental health every day by practicing self-care, by having conversations with friends when I'm worried about myself, and just ensuring I'm getting that mental break when I need it. Right. Yes. That's so important. And I'm so glad that you're out there speaking about suicide prevention because a lot of times the warning signs go unnoticed. And Mm -hmm. especially I think now that we live in such a fast paced world and, you know, everyone is posting their highlights, but we're not necessarily seeing what people are really thinking and feeling and struggling with on a daily basis. Yeah. And that comes up a lot. That's the question I get the most, right? How do I know? It seems as if a suicide, it just happens randomly, but there are warning signs to look for. And the ones we teach are talk behavior and mood. So somebody considering suicide in the near future may talk about ending their lives. They could say it jokingly or seriously, or say things like, I'm just a burden to everybody. Uh, Their behaviors could be vastly different than their usual behaviors. So maybe they're acting more erratically or they're not sleeping at all or they're sleeping too much or their mood could be drastically different, you know, very irritable or apathetic. So there's a whole range that we teach, but you really just want to look for changes in that person. And I know that's hard to do, as you said, when we live in this digital world. So I like to just continually reach out to my friends and say, Hey, how are you doing? Like via text. And if they say, Oh, I'm great. I I say, no, like, how are you really doing? Right. I think we're just so programmed to instantly respond to that question and not actually say how we're feeling. And that's something that we need to change in terms of how we interact with each other. I would agree with that. I would say I've been to other countries, been in other cultures, and then coming back to America in the U S was like, The weirdest thing about our culture is that when people say, how are you? Other people don't really respond to that question. Mm -hmm. They like, great, thanks. Or yeah, I'm good. Like, you know, just been busy. And those are such just off the surface answers. 
And I, I get it. Like, I'm not judging anyone for doing that. I do it too. It's just our culture and our culture is very typically like, go, go, go on to the next thing. I don't have time to get into my story right now, like what's really going on. And so I love your reframe of taking the time to really reach out to people when you have time, because that's something that if we bump into someone at the grocery store, we're not going to necessarily get into those details of how we're really doing. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, you know, as somebody who's been in the mental health industry for a while, what are some tips that you would give to someone who is struggling right now? Um, And I know you had said, like, making sure you're taking care of yourself. But if someone was, and if someone was struggling with depression or sadness right now, what would be a good first step, do you think? Mm. I would say that there is hope Mm. that this is not the end. And to reach out to someone in your life that you trust. This is what I I tell people when I go to schools and talk to high school students or just community groups. It's find somebody you trust in your life, whether that's a friend, a family member, a coworker, your neighbor, and tell them what's going on with you. Tell them how you're feeling, how you're struggling. If you have a, a mental health provider that you're already seeing, definitely tell them. If you're not, maybe it's time to seek one out. So perhaps that trusted person that you've gone to can help you and work with you to find a mental health care provider who can get you the help you need. And when I'm referring to help, it it means a variety of things. For some people, it's medication, and that's what works for them. For others, it's psychotherapy. Sometimes it's a combination of the two or some other things. What really matters is that you find the right treatment for you. And I like to say finding treatment is like trying to find a right pair of shoes, right? It's going to take you a few tries to find the right fit and the right size. I might really like high heels. My friend might really like cowboy boots. They're different, but they're both shoes and they're both going to work for us. So we have to try on a few before you find the treatment that works for you and be patient with the process. I know it takes time. It's, it's not enjoyable. It's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But what we know and what research has shown is that suicide is preventable. That feeling, that crisis point is often very temporary. And somebody going through it just needs time and distance from those feelings in order to move on. So I encourage you, if you are in a crisis, please call the hotline 988 Find somebody around you who can help you and distance you from the lethal means if they're nearby and get to help immediately because it's just a matter of making it through that crisis point. And I've had people call me friends that I hadn't spoken to in years, call me as they're experiencing this crisis point or just after it because I was the person that they knew they could reach out to in that moment because of how much I talk about mental health. So just knowing that I've been that person for other people really kind of lights a fire in me to keep doing this and keep talking about this. Oh, yes. Oh, that's such a good point, Hannah, because when we are out on the front line saying, hey, mental health is real, suicide prevention is real, what we're doing is we're opening a door for conversation. And we're saying to our friends, our family, our followers, whoever's in our network that we're visible to, 
I am somebody that is going to be there for you. I'm going to be listening to you if there's ever a problem. And that's why I have this podcast. That's why I have the business that I run as a life coach. And so I just want to let everyone know, I want to reiterate that it's not just someone who's a life coach or somebody who has a platform and a megaphone. It's allowing those conversations to come up organically in your own life because you never know who is struggling with uh, suicidal ideation or depression and just allowing those conversations to come up and say, it's normal. It's okay. It happens. Let's start a conversation about it. Exactly. Yes. So kind of going to the flip side of things, you know, I also think that when people look at this digital world, right, we were talking about the digital world and how people post their highlights and what's going well in their life. And I do that too. I'm not saying that that is a negative thing necessarily depends on the impact, right? There's so many nuanced conversations to this. But I sometimes think that when people look at people such as yourself, Hannah, they're like, wow, she's so successful and that must come so easy for her and good for her that she's Miss Idaho USA. And what I think people skip over a lot of times is the story that it took to get there, right? Like Mm -hmm. struggle in the victory and all of the times, all of the blood, the sweat, the tears, the practice, like what does it take? to be successful um, in what does it take in any industry, but specifically in your industry of getting to the top of the line in one of the most pre- prestigious pageant lines. What did that take? I would love oh to hear. Uh, blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> Actually, I mean, that literally there is a blood stain on one of my pairs of pageant shoes and I have no idea where it came from. <laughs> So uh, literal blood went into this, but it's been a 10 year journey for me when it comes to pageantry. My first pageant was junior year of high school. It was Miss Boise's Outstanding Teen. I barely knew what I was doing, but I was excited to be there and I won. And so I said, you know what? I, I might have a knack for this. I don't know. I became Miss Idaho Teen USA at 18 years old, and that really kind of thrust me into this whole world with the Miss Universe organization and competing at Miss Teen USA in the Bahamas just totally was out of my element. And ever since I was a teen that year, I've said, you know what? I want to be the Miss too. I want to be Miss Idaho USA because I want to be Miss USA. I want to be Miss Universe. That is a woman that I'm looking up to. And um, I think there are a lot of misconceptions about pageant women and title holders, and we can address those as well. Um, But I was truly inspired by the women I saw competing on stage in pageantry, and I wanted to be a part of that mission and organization. So ever since then, I've kind of been working towards that goal of being Miss Idaho USA. I placed first runner up twice (laughs) before I won last year. So I got so close, right? You're in the top two, you're holding hands with the other person and then it's not you. And I really, in those moments had to learn uh, grace and humility when it comes to being excited for someone else, because I was excited for for the girls who won in those moments. It was a big thing for them, uh, but also kind of mourning the loss of a dream that I had. And then immediately acknowledging that this wasn't the end. 
it was just an opportunity for me to improve even more. So the last year when I got first runner up, the day afterwards, I signed up for the next year's competition because I said, I'm not letting it end yet. I have one year left of eligibility. The age limit at the time was 27 years old. So I'm 27 now. I said, I have one year left. We're doing it and I'm treating it like my Miss USA experience because this may be as far as I get. And that entire year I prepared, I had an interview coach that I met with regularly. I really thought about what is the brand that I want to portray as Hannah, right? What do I want? Why do I want them to choose me? At the end of the day, it's a job interview. So for me, my message was a lot about women in business. And at the time I was writing my book, Glass Ceiling Epiphanies. So I wanted to really share the message from that as Miss Idaho USA. Then of course, there's high heels, walking around, practicing my poses and hair and makeup. And of course, like picking the fun, gorgeous outfits and gowns. And that's always a good time. And then I've, I always have tried to maintain a pretty fit and active lifestyle. So just kind of really taking that seriously in the, in the weeks and months leading up to Miss Idaho USA. And then I won. And this year has been a journey to Miss USA. And it's just been all of that, but on, on even at a higher level and I'm ready to to bring it to the Miss USA stage. That's so exciting. <laughs> yes. I mean, I personally know how much work it takes to win a pageant. And I'm just talking about a pageant. I'm not even talking about the Miss USA or the Miss Universe organization. It takes a lot of time and dedication. And like you said, Hannah, figuring out what is the brand um, that I'm bringing to the table and what is the brand mm -hmm. of the organization and how are we going to foster this relationship of co-branding together for a year it's a lot of work and I think that's the part right that's behind the scenes that people don't typically see yeah, yeah it's definitely the brand is a title holder I mean this is a this is a business after all this this organization and I'm in business school I should know that so I need to be a representative for them that reflects well on this organization and what they can do for women so that's really what I've tried to do this year and I think the biggest area we do that now is through social media which was not as much of a thing when I was Miss Idaho Teen USA in 2014 I mean I barely had Instagram back then but now the focus this year has been a lot on how do I communicate that message on social media, on Instagram, on TikTok, on all the new things coming out. Like we have new Twitter now. How do I how do I communicate that and get people excited about what I have going on and what this organization is doing? So that I think has been the biggest challenge for me time-wise. It's just a, a time commitment to plan and prepare content and ensure the message I'm sending is what I want to send. Um, and I feel like it's also just been kind of a mental pressure, right? Like I, I'm a full-time student. I'm very busy. I just finished a summer internship at a startup. And at the same time, I'm trying to be Miss Idaho USA and, and be very active online and on social media. And sometimes I'm just tired at the end of the day <laughs> and I don't want to create this video or edit this thing, but I know that it's part of the job. It's part of the job I wanted and I signed up for, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that we're talking about how much responsibility it is to be a title holder because it is a responsibility. It's a job, as you said, and it's also your mission, like your mission and your purpose is to get these messages out there about suicide prevention, about mental health, about 
the glass ceiling and you're doing a phenomenal job, Hannah. So I do want to commend you on that. And you're here. It's what time is it? Like eight o'clock at night. She's recording this podcast yeah. with me. I'm happy to talk to you anytime. Like this is fun. I like this yeah. kind of thing. This is a good time. It's fun for me too. It really is. That's why I do it because for me, it's the joy, right? We're driven by the passion for sure. <laughs> Um, one thing that you brought up and I was like, Ooh, I want to circle back to this is you were like, we could talk about the, how pageant women are perceived kind of Mm -hmm. outside of the industry. And I was like, Ooh, this is a fun question, (laughs) I think, (laughs) because I, I have gotten asked questions. I was a teacher and, um, I was in a very, I would say pro-feminist environment for a very long time as a teacher Mm -hmm. and what was interesting to me about that pro-feminist environment was that many of those women did not understand pageants and I'm like pageants are so pro-women and so pro-feminism yet there's sometimes a disconnect or a misunderstanding of pageants from that angle and so yeah. I have to open up that can of worms with you if you want to go there. Of course. Yeah, that's why I brought it up. Uh, <laughs> I I agree. There's there's people that have misconceptions and maybe it's because they're, they only see a sliver of it, right? They see maybe a live telecast on TV or like a movie like Miss Congeniality and they make, make some assumptions. Uh, I've had things said to me too. I've had somebody ask me, oh, so what's it like to be objectified? Or uh, is this like a um, self-assurance thing for you? You know, like getting getting on stage and having people judge me or whatever for how I look. And I just, I just kind of laugh in those moments in disbelief because they're kind of missing the plot. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm also a feminist. Like I believe in equality between men and women and and all genders. So it's, it's just crazy to me that we are so willing to judge women for doing this without fully understanding why and, and what they get out of it. So for me, pageantry has always been about being the best version of Hannah that I can be. And I can 100% say that competing in pageants has made me a better speaker. It certainly helped me in job interviews and interviews for business school. It's made me generally more confident. I used to be a very shy kid, like debilitatingly shy. And it's made me come out of that shell so much, especially in the past 10 years. I've, I look back at, at, I don't know, 15 year old me, and I'm just shocked at, at how much I've changed and grown. And I think pageants actually escalated a lot of that growth. And then you're forced to be kind of on stage in, uh, you know, when a mic is put in front of you and you have to answer a question, you have to think on your feet or you're on stage rocking a swimsuit walk. And I think this is the part that people don't really don't understand. I think it's the one that they think is a little bit more controversial is swimsuit. And for me, swimsuit and fitness competition has always been about being proud of the Hannah that is on stage in that moment and not caring about anybody else's opinion. I don't even really care about the judge's opinion of me, right? As long as I am self-confident and I am proud and saying, I'm Hannah, take it or leave it. I'm pleased and happy with myself in that moment. So the exhilaration you feel from that kind of Victoria's Secret, like runway moment saying, this is me. 
is I can't match that anywhere else in life. It's, it's truly incredible. So I have found so much confidence and joy out of competing in pageants. And the other women I meet are incredibly accomplished and driven and intelligent and impactful in what they do. They have their own initiatives they're focusing on within the community. They're pursuing master's degrees as well in other fields. They are truly inspirational and should be role models for not just young women, but young boys as well. I, I truly believe that. So I think pageants make women stronger. I think it's up to the rest of the world as a community to, to listen and respect what pageant girls have to say because they have a voice and they have a message that's worth hearing. Boom, Mike. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I 100% would agree with everything that you just said. It's about, especially getting on stage, right? It's not about that I'm up there. I find it hilarious. Someone was like, what is it like being objectified? Like, I don't know actually what that is. <laughs> Because when I'm up there, it's about me having fun and giving it my all. And you have no idea the amount of actual time and thought and effort that went into the choreography of what I'm doing up there. And I'm focused mm -hmm. and the audience is cheering me on. And I'm feeling like I'm competing in something that's for me, I'm competing against myself and it feels really good. Actually, it's really fun. And I, there are so many times where I was like, yes same girl me too growing up I was super shy I was actually terrified of public speaking like if I had to mm -hmm. in front of a class and say hi my name is Rachel I'd be like shaking I would turn bright red my voice would be quaking I would feel so like I just wanted to sink into the floor and die like please somebody make it stop and then with pageants that enabled me to work on my public speaking to the point where I'm like, oh yeah, hand me a microphone. What do you want me to talk about? Sure. And that has served me so well, so many times in my life. I can't even count the times, even in a professional setting where people were like, just give the microphone to Rachel. Like she'll take care of it because we, because I have the practice of yeah. Yeah, what is the question and how can I answer in a diplomatic, professional, succinct, articulate way? because I've practiced this area of my life a lot. So thank you for sharing just the positive side of pageantry, because to me, it's like 99% positive. And what we're seeing sometimes on social media or TV, quote unquote, reality TV shows is the drama that isn't really there at a real pageant, you know? It's yeah. It's not reality TV, it's, it's, it's scripted television. <laughs> It's true true and this is just my reality right like yeah. it's it is very much one percent drama 99 percent grind <laughs> to, to make this happen like so much work goes into it and then you just want to show up pageant weekend and hit play on everything that you've done to that point so yes. uh, it's just crazy to me what what people think so I hope we can change that <laughs> me too me too and one thing that I'm so glad we're talking about is that it's not like you win a pageant and then that's the end of it. Congratulations. Here's your trophy. Here's your crown. Have a nice life. You are out there for the rest of the year working on your platform, working on your causes, working in your community service projects that mean so much to you. And also at the same time, representing your brand and representing your title well. 
And I know, Hannah, that one of the things that's really important to you is women in the workplace. So Mm -hmm. I would love to talk to you about sort of in general, and then I definitely want to talk about your book. In general, what does it look like for you to advocate for women in the workplace as a title holder? It's, it's, that's a good question. It's definitely interesting because I'm in an interesting place in my life. So I am about to start my second year of my MBA at Wharton, which is a pretty good business school. And I've really enjoyed meeting the other women in that program. It's actually the first MBA program last year to reach gender parity of at least 50% women. And like the first time ever, which is crazy to me to, to even swallow that that that's real. Uh, But for me, as Miss Idaho USA, it involves promoting the messages of my book, Glass Ceiling Epiphanies, which I published almost a year ago, which is crazy. I published it with New Degree Press. It took a year to write. I'm so glad it's out there. But it's a lot of sharing the messages within that book. And there's multiple, but essentially what I realized through my four years working in management consulting was I was having these moments that kind of shocked me. And then I was like, why am I shocked about this? Like the first time I tried to negotiate and totally failed because I went about it the wrong way. Uh, The first time I was on a team with a micromanager and how did I handle that situation? And I thought so many women are now in the workforce, especially at that entry level, we're probably all having these challenges. Why don't I write a book that describes them and then how to get over them and overcome them? So I interviewed a lot of women in my life and just online through networking. I was always on LinkedIn in people's messages, had some really great conversations and shared the stories of other women and then statistics and tactical advice about what to do in the situations that they faced. And that all came together in Glass Ceiling Epiphanies. So this year has really been about, as Miss Idaho USA, shedding light on those messages like How do I negotiate my first offer? How do I advocate for another woman on my team? How do I mentor someone else so that I can bring someone with me to the table? And I dislike all that kind of language around like bringing somebody to the table or, you know, like leaning in. I think that's, we've used that language for 10 years now and we haven't seen much change, but it is true that we need to make space for women at work so more of us can be in the boardroom. And that is the message I've tried to send this year via social media, via where I am at business school. And it's certainly the way I want to lead my future company one day. Um, so it's it's definitely something that I could go on and on about, <laughs> but uh, it's it's something that is very important to me and that would be probably my key message is Miss USA. I love that. As you're talking, I'm like, oh, I've had that experience. Oh yeah, I've had that experience. I've worked with a micromanager. In fact, I wrote, I not wrote, I did a podcast on that exact subject like two episodes ago. And there's so much in the workplace dynamic that as women impact us, I think for me, and not to overgeneralize, but for me as a woman, one of the things that I found difficult in the workplace was knowing how to advocate 
for myself and also hold the space for everyone else that's also trying to advocate for themselves at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think that that is a strength that women have is to see the whole picture of how everyone is involved with their thoughts and their emotions and their beliefs and their values and what everyone is working toward as, as a big picture. And so yes. one of the things that was difficult for me personally in the workplace is, okay, well, how do I put my needs up on the table when so many other voices are fighting for their own needs? And that's something that I specifically experienced, not in business, but in education, when mm-hmm. there is so much demand put on teachers. It's like a 90% fee. I'm making this statistic up. Please don't quote me on this, but it feels like a 90% <sighs> female environment. Yeah. In my entire school, there were two male staff members. The rest was female. And everyone is stretched so thin that it's like, Uh don't ask me to do one more thing. And so, like, how do you navigate uh, empowering myself, empowering everybody, staying as a team instead of becoming divisive? So your book, I was like, ooh, I... I need to read this book more than I thought that I did. I'm excited <laughs> about this book, actually. Um, so, okay, writing a book is something that has been a thought bubble of mine for, gosh, probably a decade, if I'm being honest with myself. And mm-hmm. to me, the discipline that it takes to sit down and say, okay, I've got some concrete ideas. I've got a theme. I've got some some chapters in mind. I am going to sit down and make this a reality. I am just so impressed that you did that, (laughs) that you had the drive and the faithfulness to sit down and write an entire book and get it published. Like, how did you do that? And I don't mean to just say, how do you do it? But what does it take to, to, to accomplish something like that? Well, I have really impeccable timing because I chose to write this at the same time I was applying to MBA programs the same year I was preparing to compete for Miss Idaho USA for the last time. Mm. So I just, I just know that I, I do better when I overload my plate, I guess. But I, I actually found a course that taught you how to write a book. It was run by a Georgetown professor. And I was with a cohort of other first time authors. We met once a week on zoom and talked through how to structure a chapter how to interview someone and develop a story from that. And so all of this was extremely helpful in kind of laying out the puzzle pieces for me. And they had a great timeline that was certainly fast. I mean, I had the whole manuscript done in March and I had started in October, uh, but they had every step of the path laid out. So without that, I think I would have been very overwhelmed and just kind of lost, but I would just sit down every week. I would do research. I would schedule interviews and I would try to get about 3000 words done a week. And this was tough because I had just worked a full day in consulting and I had to sit down at my laptop again and just write while my friends were going out to dinner and enjoying the outdoors. I mean, it was starting to become the holidays and I was just stuck in front of my laptop writing this book And so it was hard. It was really hard to kind of set that time aside every week and make sure it got done. But they put me on a deadline, right? I had to submit that manuscript on time or else they weren't going to consider me. And I invested a little bit financially in the process. So 
you know, I had that sunk cost fallacy in my head. Uh, at the same time, I had to take a week off to just focus on my business school application. So then I was behind, I had to get back into it. So it, it certainly was a trade-off of my free time and my fun time, but I knew this was something that was important to me, that I had a message to share. And as my writing started to come together, the vision became clearer and clearer in terms of, oh, I have a lot of great messages about negotiation. I have my own personal story, but then I talked, I spoke to Kat about how she tried to negotiate her first offer and that didn't work or realize that somebody in the same level had a higher salary. And the only reason she wasn't being the same, paid the same was because she didn't ask for more when she was given the offer. Right. And so as I had these conversations, the book just started to put itself together as mm -hmm. the content came in. And I had to do a little bit of extra research, find the relevant statistics to kind of hone in on the message, but it really just started to make more sense. And the hardest part I actually think was in April when I had to do the pre-sale campaign and start marketing my book mm. without having the manuscript completed while it was still in copy editing, I had to pitch my book and get people excited about it. And that was really hard because I was like, I don't, I feel weird, like selling myself. This book isn't even real yet. So how am I get, going to get people to buy it? And I've never written a book before. I'm not like a famous author that is coming out with a new bestseller. I'm just a random 26 year old who has big dreams and is doing a few cool things on the side, but who's going to listen to me. Mm. And I just had to kind of overcome those fears follow the instructions of my program. Uh, at the same time, work with the cover designers. That was the best part, picking out the cover. Yeah. And we published September 9th, the day after my birthday last year and the day before I won Miss Idaho USA. So right. I just, honestly, it, it taught me that if you put your mind to something, if you have the determined determination to get it done, you can do it. You can do it. And I've kept that mantra ever since. So it's doable. If you want to do it, just commit, make a plan, give yourself a timeline and you are fully capable of doing it. 100%. I am such a fan of so many things that you said. Number one. Okay. <laughs> I'm a coach. So shameless plug here. You had a coach and a mentor and you had accountability and you had deadlines and you had investment. Like you said, sunk cost fallacy. And I was like, I wouldn't even call it a fallacy. It's like this skin in the game, financial investment of, I put my money where my mouth is. And now I have to show up for that. I have to show up for my coach, my mentor, my, my financial investment, my vision, all of the things. And man, those deadlines, that's how this podcast came to be. I shared on a previous episode, I had been trying to launch a podcast for a couple of years and I'd sit down to record and I'd get overwhelmed. And I was like, I don't know what to talk about. I don't know what my message is. I don't know who my audience is. I don't know the dumb things. Like, I don't know what my cover art is. I don't know what the name of this podcast is. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then I took a course that was like, well, you have to decide the name of the podcast by next week. See you next week. Okay, you've got a name. You have to sit down and press record episode one. See you next week. And they were very much like, if you don't hit these deadlines, you're out of here. 
So I think that is a very good thing. If you've been going through your life trying to get something done and you haven't made any progress, maybe it's time to consider like putting some financial investment in there, putting some skin in the game, getting a coach, getting a mentor, because I believe truly that everybody has a story to tell. Everybody has a vision. Everybody has mission and purpose. They just need that little bit of support to get there. And then what a beautiful reality that you manifested for yourself, having a birthday, publishing the book, and then winning Miss Idaho USA all in like three days. That's amazing. Yeah. That was the craziest weekend of my life. <laughs> I love so, it. We'll see what happens this year, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that I was love quite it. the quite the way to kick off 27. Oh yeah. Anything is possible with with enough just inertia and grind momentum Mm -hmm. and that extra accountability piece. Mm -hmm. So I would love to know more about for women in the workplace or anyone in the workplace who wants to read this book, where's the best way that they can find it? Well, it's on Amazon. And so I would recommend going there. It's called glass ceiling epiphanies. There's an ebook and then a paperback Maybe one day there will be an audiobook. We'll see. Uh, I'm also trying to schedule a few book signings. So I actually just did one in Idaho in Coeur d'Alene, which was a huge hit. It's very fun to do that and meet people and actually sign copies of my book. Uh, so yeah, definitely just order it on Amazon or hit me up and maybe I will send you a signed copy. Yes. Oh, fun. I love this idea. Yes. Heck yeah. I want to sign yeah. this girl, just throwing that out there. I'll send you one. <laughs> okay, so let's see. Oh, so we haven't even talked about Miss USA. Well, I mean, we did kind of in generalities. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So um, you're competing this fall. Mm-hmm. What are you most excited about for this upcoming pageant? My gosh, I mean, this has been the dream for 10 years of my life. And I'm excited to get there and show them who I am and what I'm made of. I have been preparing for this for so long. I feel confident about who I'm going to be when I get there and and who I am now, who I've been this year. So I'm just ready to show the world that. And I mean, I'm also excited to get on stage and be on TV at Miss USA, which I think so many women dream about. There's this statistic in the pageant world that your daughter is less likely to compete at Miss USA than your son is to be at the Super Bowl. Uh, So I've heard that. I'm not sure like how mathematically who's done the calculations, but in the Super Bowl or watching the Super Bowl in the Super Bowl in the Super Bowl. Wow. Okay. Yeah. My mind just exploded. Right. Right. I, I guess. I guess that's true. But For me, I want to show the world that Hannah Mensner has a message. She can bring it. She can deliver on this stage and that Idaho should not be underestimated. That is the message I want to share. Yay. Yes. Go Idaho. I will say I'm a (laughs) transplant to Idaho and I love it. I'm very pro Idaho. I will definitely be cheering you on. It's so exciting. I was doing the math in my head and I'm like, you're hundred percent right. Because if you think about it, the, the Miss USA, there's 50 states that are represented. So there's 50 girls, 50 young 51 women. with DC. 
51 with DC. So every year there's 51 young women competing at the Miss USA pageant. That's like one football team. Yeah. And you compete once, right? You don't get to be Miss Idaho again. So this is really the one shot that I have that any of us have at becoming Miss USA. Wow. That's mind blowing to me. Just when you put it that way, I was like, wow, you are so right. This is massively huge. And I'm so excited for you. And I'm definitely going to be watching. So as soon as we have a date, let me know. I'm going to get I will. the game stream. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> all the things. I'm going to be watching you, cheering you on from home. Yay. <laughs> Yay. So Anna, um, a couple of fun questions, kind of pageant related. I wanted to know kind of your favorite part of competing and then maybe least favorite or maybe like mm-hmm. behind the scenes that people don't think about or don't know about, I guess is a better way of saying it. But we'll start with what is your favorite part of competing? I really like the adrenaline adrenaline rush I get on stage in evening gown, in swimsuit. I think just strutting my stuff out there is so confidence boosting. And I grew up a dancer and I played the piano. So I'm used to performing. And I, I think I really miss that because getting out on stage and strutting my stuff just feels very similar to the joy I got from dance. So I'm really excited that I kind of get to continue doing something like that. I think my least favorite part of pageantry and competing in general is I would say financial stress. Mm. This is something that can get expensive to do. And there's certainly ways to save money. You don't have to buy a super expensive gown. You don't have to buy, you know, the top shelf makeup brands. Uh, But over time, expenses add up. And I know that in grad school, I'm not making any money right now. I'm spending money on school. I'm spending money on pageants. So it's just been a difficult year to balance my budget. But that's true for a lot of things that you want to pursue. Things cost money and you just have to make smart financial decisions to make it work for you. Oh, that is such an interesting answer. And I'm like, yep, that's a hundred percent why I haven't done more international pageants. I would love to do an international pageant every year, but you're talking about your costs of your flights, your hotels, not just your wardrobe, your coaching, your hair, your makeup, your, I mean, yes, you're right. Those things do add up. And so it's, you do have to figure out where can you get sponsors? <laughs> How can you sell more copies of your book? Hint, hint, people. <laughs> yeah, buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it is, it's the reality. I, for me, so it's funny. Cause I was like, if I was asked that question, like hardest part of competing for me would be the lack of sleep that I mm-hmm. think that a lot of people don't realize that so many women up there, I mean, you're running on adrenaline for sure because it is so exciting to be up there and you probably have been up since 4.30 or 5 a.m. depending on hair and makeup call, um, rehearsals, um, dress rehearsals, dance rehearsals, meeting with your coaches, getting that last minute practice in, doing appearances, autograph signings. It is a jam-packed week. And um, there is a quite literal crash is kind of known as the pageant hangover after the week is over. (laughs) Yeah. Win or lose, you are exhausted afterwards. Exhausted. So I've been there and I had to go to class two days after I won Miss Idaho USA. 
an 8.30 a.m. class. So I, I was kind of a zombie, but I was also ecstatic that I had won. And so I was, I was fine, <laughs> but, but you definitely need like a week of sleep afterwards. And a lot of my friends who have competed at national pageants say, yeah, for the two weeks afterwards, I slept and I did nothing else. Yep. I a hundred percent can relate to that. That is, that is so real. Um, Hannah, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to talk about? Oh gosh. I mean, we've talked about so much. I would just say, one thing about me is like, I feel like I come across as very serious, like focusing on women in business and suicide prevention and business school. And I just want people to know that I'm just a normal, normal woman, normal girl, just like everybody else. I grew up in Boise, Idaho. I like to go hiking on the weekends with my family or try new brunch spots or, you know, go to, go to spin class. So I, I like to have fun too. And this year has certainly been a lot of work, but it's also been a lot of fun. I've been really fortunate in that school has given me the opportunity to travel a ton. So I've been to five continents this year, which is nuts, which is great because I, it shows that I'm already kind of doing the job of Miss USA and Miss Universe because they're always on the road. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just, I love to laugh and have fun and I will eat any chocolate food if, if anybody puts it in front of me, I will eat it. So I'm <laughs> staying away for now, but, <laughs> but that is my weakness in case anybody is wondering if I have one. Yes. Oh, same. Oh my gosh. The chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, I feel, I feel it. Yeah. yeah the cake. Yeah. <laughs> chocolate cake is my favorite, like my favorite guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. Mm, my family has a great recipe, chocolate bundt cake. That was my grandma's and we still make it every year when we're together for the holidays. So I, I dream about that cake, especially when I'm preparing for a pageant because I'm not eating any cake right now. And <laughs> I'm just dreaming of when I can have it again. <laughs> <laughs> You're like first thing after the pageant, chocolate bundt cake. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here, Hannah. I know it's been a long night, a long day. So I just really, again, want to say thank you for coming and sharing your message about mental health and suicide prevention and women in the workplace and just sharing your heart with us. We really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rachel, for having me. This has been so fun. You're very welcome. Come back anytime. And okay. I don't know, maybe come back as uh, Miss USA. I'm just saying. Yeah, <laughs> let's maybe. do it. Okay, awesome. We'll see you then. Bye, okay. Anna. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Life Coach in Your Pocket. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, or if you're looking to get involved in one of my coaching programs, you can reach me directly at coachrachelbailey.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.